Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Today's show, we have Dan Blitzer. Now, why this man has never been on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast before, and I think we're like 200 episodes in, is anybody's guess. But anyway, Dan Blitzer is the principal of the Practical Lighting Workshop, founded in 1993. So that's going back a bit in terms of the lighting years. Lots of change since then. The firm provides consulting services and marketing strategy, communication, education, and service manufacturers and non-commercial clients. 40 years of lighting experience, including technology, lumineers, controls, application, and application, energy, energy efficiency and sustainability, product management, marketing, and on and on. Dan serves on the steering committee of the Next Generation Lighting Systems, a project of the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, friends of the show, and he is a member of the Lighting Agora. That's right, what Butters is working on now. We heard about that. He serves on the board of directors of the Designers Lighting Forum of New York and the Knuckles Fund for Lighting Education. And he is the primary interviewer for the IES NYC History Project. Dan is a fellow of the Illuminating Engineering Society and Lighting Certified LC, folks. That's right. He is based in New York City. Before we get to that interview with him, though, we got to keep it easy, Greg Eric. We got to go down to k e y s t o n e t e c h dot com. That's Keystone Technologies. Light made easy, the easy folks. Now you can go down there in a few ways, and the way I just went down there was I actually went to Philadelphia. I just got back last night. I was in Keystone at their headquarters, and I was at their live experience, which they're calling it live uh, because they have it where you can get online and actually see their products in action. They, they demo it. They show it, and it's a whole experience room. I think Scott's showing it on screen right now, but an awesome facility. Great to see it in person, uh, but you can also see it online. So check it out. You can book your own experience with Keystone Live. And of course, folks, the patron, the sponsor of this show, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, go to naild.org. And a quick reminder, you know, Dan Blitzer is LC. He's lighting certified. Why not you? That's right. Why not get a this industry's PhD in lighting? And check out the ncqlp.org, Greg Eric. I think their exam's coming up in a month and a half or something like that. Yeah, November. Get after it. Get after it. ncqlp.org. What do you got, Blitzer? actually excuse me for a moment uh i'd like to open um with a um tribute to paul hafner hey cheers to that absolutely don't have a cup paul was for many years um the lead educator for the naild um and paul was a mentor to me when we both worked at what was, what was then the Phillips Lighting Application Center. And he taught me a great deal about learning. Uh, and I think I talk about being involved in education, but of course it's really all about learning, isn't it? And Paul was all about learning. He was a lifelong learner. And one of the things that's made the NAILD education uh, products so valuable was his commitment to learners experiencing uh, light so that they could learn by their own doing. And that's had a pretty important influence on me over the years. So here's to Paul. Cheers. Rest in peace, Paul Hafner. You know, another thing about Paul that was really interesting is he, he had an air of authority about him when it came to education, where he demanded more of his students. And I don't know if that's as common as it should be. He would he would press people to get educated. 
and push them, like politely in a good way, but also in a way that when I see you next year at the convention, you're going to have passed this course, right? That, and we're, then we're going to move you on. I, you know, that is so valuable in education, that m- the motivation, the belief in the student, the not accepting the procrastination, the not accepting n- not success. And, and, and Paul's legacy is all over nailed. And, you know, we really pray for his family. Everyone misses him. Yep. So Paul liked to say that um, his formative, formative experience was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. And that gave him... I think, uh, the ability to relate both to sellers and to buyers. And um, one of the workshops that we did together was called the Better Sellers, Better Buyers Workshop, because after a little bit of thinking, not very much, we figured out that they both needed to learn the same things. And so we could mix buyers and sellers in the same groups and have them both take away, essentially, the same experiences and the same techniques all the way through. It was um, really worthwhile to have worked with him. Was that something you did at, at Phillips? Yes. Paul, uh, Paul was already there. We met uh, when he was running the center, and I was brought in as a guest uh, instructor for one program. But later, uh, when they changed to a larger faculty, Paul was one of the faculty, and I came on board as well. So I worked with him until he left Phillips um, about 10 years later. See, and I, and I love that idea of combining the, the, the buyers and the sellers. And I think that's needed now more than ever, you know, because our biggest struggle as a lighting professional is, is unfortunately selling quality lighting right now. It's very difficult to get the buyer to understand what quality lighting is and, and, and to appreciate it. And I think getting them together in an environment like that would be needed. But on, there aren't any environments like that anymore that I know of. You know, well, I think that's right. Um, and I'm hoping that the COVID experience will renew people's interest in both face-to-face and hands-on lighting education, uh, because you can collect information very efficiently as we do it today, remotely, electronically, but you can't learn as effectively that way at all. Um, so. There are still some. I mean, there's, there's a center uh, at uh, Cooper. There's a center at Acuity. There's a wonderful couple of centers out on the West Coast as well. Um, Rab Lighting has one. There's one up in, in Osram, Osram still. But it's very expensive. People have to travel. They lose the time out of work. It's not on their schedule. Um, instructors, I'd like to say, are expensive. I wish we were more expensive, but uh, <laughs> all of that adds to the cost of in-person education. So one of the things that we did at Phillips was to say, what experiences can you not get virtually? Hmm. And if you can get it virtually, we don't want to do it. We only want to hmm. do the kinds of things that ultimately give you something that you could only get by being here. And that's what kept the center alive until uh, Phillips closed it just in advance of COVID. There's a lot of directions I could go here, but I want to start on this path about the vacuum cleaners and about learning and being in person. Uh, We just had an election in Canada. I'm not going to go down the political path, but I was helping out one of the candidates and doing some door knocking and I was training 
bunch of young people to do this. And there's a learning process, whether it's in the classroom or whether you're, when you're in front of people and you're demanded to speak to them about a product or a service, and you have to do this over and over and over again. And when Paul Hafner says that's formative, what it means is that you're going towards someone with your pitch, 99% of them are going to say no to you. And you have to accept that. I think it's an interesting way that I also was a door-to-door -door salesman when I was younger for years. And it really trains you on how to communicate, how to control your facial expressions. So when people talk about learning, Dan Blitzer, there's different types of learning. Most of it involves your person being with other people. Other than that, you're kind of absorbing data or information or something. And I was talking to these kids on the campaign trail and he's like, yeah, should I take this course online? Should I do this? And I said, well, find a place where you can work practically on the skills that they're trying to teach you. And that was what's so beautiful about what Paul created for Nailed is because while people were learning LS1, he forced them to go back in the warehouse and touch the bulbs and bring them out and handle them and, and to integrate this into a practice. How important is that hands-on part of learning when you're creating educational programs, Dan? Well, for certain kinds of things, I think it's essential. Um, you can't experience light from diagrams. <laughs> um, and in fact, the, the process of learning how to see, we see from a very, very early, very, very early age. But seeing light um, takes experience and I think takes professional guidance. That is to say, one of the things I find most valuable for me is to learn from masters who can explain how light affects a space and affects the people who are in it, uh, both in the way they describe it, but very much in the images that they show and the images they deconstruct. It's not unlike going into a class in art history where somebody explains how a painting works or music history where they explain how the music works. Light is um, both an image like painting and it's dynamic like music and gifted lighting designers, and I'm not one of course, um, have this remarkable ability to see, and some of them, not all of them, also have an equally remarkable ability to communicate that. Um, but the best way to do it is to do it in three dimensions with somebody helping your eyes move from bright spot to darker spot around the room, understanding the focus, understanding the relationship of the lighted elements to each other. Um, and so that I think you need in-person experience. You can understand the physics, you can understand the mathematics, uh, you can certainly understand to some extent the terminology virtually. And some people are developing methods of helping individual remote learners also experience on a remote basis. Colorado, I think it's Colorado University. I'm never sure whether the university comes before or after the state, um, has started a virtual program in which they shipped out kits, demonstration kits to the registered students so that students could actually demonstrate for themselves and manipulate the lighting elements and the materials 
so that they wouldn't depend on an instructor showing them slides, but they could actually do it for themselves and they could explore for themselves, much as Paul helped students learn to explore. We just spoke with Sandra Vascones. I think that's from the University of Colorado Boulder. Is that what you're, what you're talking correct. about? That's yep. Yeah. And she yeah. was one of, one of the principal investigators uh, for this project, which, by the way, was supported in part by the Knuckles Fund for Lighting Education, which gives grants to um, lighting programs around the country to either develop or enhance their programs and also to support a faculty. The idea of bringing customers and, um, you know, um, distributors, contractors, whoever, into a space to discuss the technology, I can't see a better application for that than various health effects of lighting, whether that be to, you know, prevent slips and falls, whether that to be, you know, circadian photobiology, cueing, these types of things. Can you see a, I mean, I, I made a statement, but would you agree with that statement? I think that's probably the place where most of the confusion could be cleared up. Well, I think there's some very interesting things going on in that. There, there's, of course, ongoing research in a number of institutions, uh, as well as outreach programs to communicate the, if you will, street level aspects of the research, as well as the more serious parts of it. But there are also efforts to equip students with uh, light meters, personally held light meters that are designed to measure light at or near the eye, where, of course, it, it counts for um, circadian, circadian stimulus. Um, one of the programs that's doing that is at the New York School of Interior Design, um, also incidentally partly funded through the Knuckles Fund for Lighting Education. Uh, but that is a different approach than learning about it. Um, and of course, um, you can also learn about it by, if you will, being aware of your own rhythms, being aware of your own uh, light intake at the eye and being sensitive to it. It, it helps to have a background in the principles, duration, time of day, quantity, color, location, etc. But just being mindful of how light affects you um, can be really significant. Now, you guys are all, it appears, in enclosed spaces. Do you have windows? Yes. This is so, a sound studio, so no, it's soundproofed. Yeah, I do, yeah. um, but you know what Dan Blitzer is saying, Greg Eric? He's telling everyone to take their sunglasses off. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm not, actually. Um, I try to spend um, several hours outdoors every day, but um, at my age, my eyes are sensitive uh, to brightness, so I'm constantly wearing tinted glasses of one sort or the other. So I'll give you an interesting uh, comment. So um, my wife and I are, are both working out of home, and we have two locations. One of them is uh, part of the living room, which you can't see, but it's off uh, to my right. Um, and that has windows. And the other 
is fully enclosed, almost like a shipboard cabin. And that's uh, off to my left. And Joyce said, I prefer the privacy of being enclosed. And Dan said, I prefer the daylight all the way through. Um, and it, it helps offset the um, effects of being in front of a computer screen. And also, to some degree, isolated. The two things that we're mm. struggling with after nearly two years under COVID. Now, the the Knuckles Fund, who, who is Knuckles and where did that come from? So James Knuckles was a lighting designer. Um, and he was extraordinarily influential in exciting people about lighting. Uh, he practiced in New York. He was associated with the Parsons School of Design. But mostly, he was a proselytizer. He wrote a significant book, I think in the 1970s. But he's remembered for exciting people about lighting and encouraging people to enter the field. Uh, the Knuckles Fund was um, started by a number of his colleagues, uh, notably Jeffrey Millam and Gary Gordon, both also lighting designers in New York, and has been supported by members of the lighting community uh, with small and large donations all the way through the uh, New York section and several other sections of the IES are contributors. The Designers Lighting Forum of New York is a contributor, uh, and many others have raised money uh, for the fund. It supports educational programs at universities um, and has, I wish I had that statistic, but it's uh, literally dozens of university level programs. It also supports um, fellowships for faculty and now gives awards to students for achievement um, all the way through. And all of these um, go around the country in various ways. Uh, some of the programs that uh, universities have been introducing are uh, inspiring. There's no other word for it. Um, the dedication, imagination, passion of the principal instructors um, should motivate more of us to contribute to the next generation of lighting professionals. That's great. Now, this uh, lighting or the practical lighting workshop you founded in 1993, what, what made you do that? And, and tell us what you do there primarily. So um, I started in lighting in 1979. Um, I really would like to tell this story. Um, so forgive me. It's, I haven't figured out how Please to do. tell it uh, quickly. Indulge yourself. Uh, you got time. Well, you'll see just how long it's going to be because I studied economics and city planning in college and wanted to go into city planning when I graduated, but that was 1974 and Watergate just soured me on government service um, in a big way. So I thought I might uh, get in for a side door in a private company, uh, but I didn't have real estate contacts or experience. So that wasn't going to happen for me at the time. It was a recession, too. So I went and joined an insurance company who, of course, was a major investor in real estate um, all the way through. But I never got anything out of that in terms of my career.
career opportunity. I did come away with my wife, but that, and that was worth all the time anyway. But after about five years, it was time to move on, and I wanted to move into a smaller company. My wife said, well, you have family at Lightalier. Why don't you look at them? And I did. And I called up the head of human resources, whom I knew, and I said, uh, Walter, hi, it's Dan Blitzer. I'd like to talk to you about opportunities at Lightalier. And he said, oh, what do you want? Um, and that was a little bit like a freeze-dried phone call. I've never, the only time I've ever had anything as chilling as that was when I was dating. Um, at any rate, I said, uh, I'd like to be a salesman. Walter says, fantastic, come right in. We'd like to talk to you. I don't know what he thought I wanted to do. He must have thought I was looking for an express to the eighth floor where the executives were. No, I wanted to go out and learn the business at the ground selling. And of course, one of the problems with the insurance company is, so you can see the beard, which dates back <clears throat> to high school, uh, I wasn't going to be out selling insurance <laughs> with a beard. But in lighting, it was a different matter. So he said, where would you like to go? I said, I would like to go to Seattle, which had a fabulous sales team. In those days, there were uh, factory salespeople in lighting fixtures, not just agents. And they had a great regional sales manager because I'd done the comp studies at the company. I said, we don't have any places in Seattle. Uh, would you mind going to San Francisco? And I said, San Francisco, fantastic. I'm on my way. And literally was um, at the end of the month. I was very fortunate that I got to go to San Francisco because uh, A, Lightelier had a terrible reputation in the territory. It was really hard to imagine it could have been any worse. And therefore, the opportunity to improve it uh, was very rich. And most importantly, it was a growing, young, dynamic lighting community with many of the names that you would recognize today as being early practitioners in there. I'll just name several of them, um, Naomi Miller, Jan Moyer, Jim Benya, uh, Nancy McCoy were all active in the marketplace at the time. Name dropper. Uh, you bet. <laughs> you bet. Well, as a new person coming into the territory, as you know well, the established sales agents already monopolized the principles of the engineering firms. And they were doing most of the lighting, of course, at that time. So who was open to a newcomer were the younger people. And they were more or less of my generation. And that's where the bonds formed all the way through. But anyway, back to the um, fun part of the story. So I call up my mother and I said, Mom, I'm going to join Lightelier. Um, since she was married to Lightelier, this didn't seem like a particularly attractive proposition to her. And she said, no, 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 no. You should become a teacher. I said, no, 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 no Mom. I, I would like to go into business. No, you should become a teacher. So I said, no, no, Mom. I, I want to be a salesman. I want to learn the business. You should be a teacher. I said, Mom, I've taken the job. Well, <laughs> Punchline of the story, of course, is what do I do today? Your mom was right. Your mom was right. And by the way, <laughs> that is one of the truths of the world, right? Your mother is always right. You just have to figure out in what way. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> okay, so I want to mix it up here a little bit. 
because, you know, we've been all positive on all in education all the time. And I want to ask you some tougher questions about education. Now, you, you're, a, you're, a, you're a gun for hire, right? You go out, you're a consultant. People can hire you to make training programs for them, right? A marketing mercenary. There you go. In my phrase. Yeah. There you go. A thug. Pure <laughs> <Your> educational thug. <laughs> I like it. So a lot of times what is in what is called education or is really um, mass is is really sales or product training masquerading as education. Um and how, like, you know, LS1 is not this. LS1 with Nailed is a pure lighting educational program. It doesn't, it, it's not trying to, it, it is teaching you to sell in a sense, but it's, what, what are the differences between those two things? And as a professional, I'm not saying one's better than the other, both are necessary, but oftentimes the sales training or the product training is kind of cloaked in like an educational look to it when it's not that. How do you approach those things differently? Do you identify it? Is it a different strategy? I don't know exactly what I'm asking, but I want you to talk about the difference between those two things. Um, I'll throw it this way. Um, in my opinion, the greatest lighting salesperson uh, is one of a handful of lighting designers who are able to persuade uh, or convince, if you will, clients to invest in their services. Um, and they have remarkable communica communicative abilities um, and they accomplish more in terms of enhancing the visual environment than do um, product salespeople by offering another five lumens per watt or um, three points of CRI or whatever mm -hmm. the, the issue is there. Um, now, remember, I began as a salesperson. Mm -hmm. I love salespeople. I, I think, um, and I guess I can include myself in this, um, we contribute significantly to the well-being of the world around us as communicators. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you simply wanted to impart sales techniques, certain disciplines uh, and training people how to probe for questions, how to, ha how to handle objections, how to manage your time, the techniques that, that make for, if you will, professional salespeople, how to manage a contact book, for example, and expand it. Um, you don't need somebody who's steeped in lighting. It's true. But if you want to communicate a sense of confidence in what you're talking about, you have to be able to demonstrate that you understand the fundamental benefits of the products you're offering. And that aspect of education, because fundamental benefits ultimately turn on the fundamental properties of light for people, for spaces, and for economy, et cetera, um, you have to do some education. So you can think about the difference between education, that is somebody learning related to experience and has a great deal to do with understanding and um, 
doing and training, which also has to do with understanding and training, but of a much more focused element. So returning to Paul and Dan at the Philips Lighting Application Center, which also, by the way, included a number of other people, notably Mark Rausch, um, who effectively uh, took Paul's seat at the LAC. Um, and then Mark and I continued. Um, a substantial part of what we did was training. That is to say, helping people both buying and selling get comfortable with doing certain kinds of tasks repetitively. Now, there's only a certain amount of re repetition that you can actually do in a short program. But it was fundamentally training rather than pure education. But there's also plenty of education. Um, one of my favorite experiences there uh, for incoming students at virtually every level. And we uh, had programs with high school students, university students, contractors, facility managers, designers went through um, an experience of lighting in which they went through the Philips facility, which was fabulous in this sense, and engaged in six different small group exercises in which they would observe, measure, and characterize what they saw. They used light meters, uh, they used scoring sheets, and they really did it all themselves. Uh, and this made the fundamentals of light and the beginnings of the vocabulary meaningful mm -hmm. and engaged people. As uh, Paul used to say, I want to have lifelong learners. And that means when somebody leaves this course, they don't feel they've learned everything. They feel like they're ready to learn more mm -hmm. all the way through. I don't Greg, know if that answers your question. It doesn't, but that's okay. It just expanded <laughs> it a little bit. Um, no, you, we're just taking the topic here. So you had just traveled to Keystone. Um, mm -hmm. And what, what, what you were doing there was this sort of this product training I was talking about, right? And Correct. that's extremely valuable for salespeople because now they can see what they can use in the field when they're out talking to clients and that. But without that fundamental education of lighting, so they need to go together, Greg. And so if you go oh, yeah. there with a bunch of people that don't know anything about lighting, it's going to be meaningless to them. You know, you're For not sure. gonna you're not gonna take anything away from it, Dan. Where you're now, you you went to Phillips and you learned about their ceramic metal halides or whatever it was back in the day with Paul. You learned, you know, oh, this is more energy efficient. The lamps last longer. They produce whatever more of this, and here's the price point. And you know, this is the kind of customer that might be interested in this. You need to understand lighting and be in sales. It's kind of like there needs to be um. A, a, a two, there needs to be product training with education throughout your career while you're practicing and that's how you get to this place where Greg and I are where we have all this knowledge but we have no idea how we acquired it. <laughs> so one of the interesting <laughs> conversations with Paul uh, about ceramic metal halide is why given that the uh, quantity of light was lower um, did it give you better visibility? all the way through, and the number of technical um, answers to that. But fundamentally, if once you teach people about lumens and foot candles and lumens per watt, it's very difficult to then give them a more complicated or softer answer. So you'll appreciate this. Um, 
By the way, were you at the Phillips facility? No, I, I've never been there. Okay, so I'm going to describe one of the different rooms. This is a room that Paul himself put together based on models from Philips in Europe. And there were room had a left side and a right side with a giant screen that pulled across it. And he had HID light sources up in rotating drums so that they could all stay on, because of course you can't turn on and off HID lighting comfortably, mm -hmm. with discs that would cover the ones that you didn't want to see. Mm -hmm. And he would set up a situation in which high pressure sodium was on one side of the screen and ceramic metal halide was on the other side of the screen and the difference in the quantity of light was roughly one-third more from the sodium side mm -hmm. and so you would look at black and white text and ask which was more visible and you got some favorable responses couldn't really tell whether the students who were experiencing this knew what we wanted them to say because, of course, there were some obvious uh, commercial reasons for this. But then uh, Paul came up with a jelly bean test. And he took two bowls of jelly beans, and you would bring the bowl under the sodium. And the question was, can you count the orange jelly beans? There were orange and yellow ones in the bowl and people struggled and they brought them back to the metal halide side and all of a sudden the difference between the orange and the yellow was crystal clear and they could count it in no time fat hmm. and so they learned if you will the experience of this and it made the discussion of spectrum and balance in the spectrum which is really what was important in that case uh real to them and they could then use this to communicate why a enhanced color, if you like that expression, white source was a better choice than a limited color choice. Yeah, it makes it pretty so obvious. <laughs> um, well, we like to say sweetly obvious, but yes, uh, following with the thugism, that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you recommend if somebody's new to lighting today? Like, what do you recommend they do to get educated, Dan, with all your experience and all the changes that have happened? What do they want to do with their lives? I think there is no single answer for people. If you want to go onto the commercial side, I would say, uh, first of all, opt for a, for a career choice or path that will put you into field sales. The best way to understand lighting is to understand what customers are going to use it for. Amen, brother. Totally agree with that. Um, all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, and this may be a little bit controversial. If you are a high school student interested in pursuing a career in lighting, if you're the one in a million people at that level who's interested in this, um, remember we have um, 300 million people in this country, so that's not quite as trivial. <laughs> a number as it sounds, <laughs> um, I would recommend theater. Mm. And what the lighting designers who uh, grew up in the theater, um, and somebody made a comment on the Vasconez, uh podcast that seeing a convergence of architectural and theatrical 
uh, lighting design. I think it goes quite a ways back, easily 40 or 50 years. Mm. Um, but what the designers who've had that background will say, among other things, um, is that you get multiples of experience in your formal education because you set up and knock down and change many, many more shows than you can design, build, and experience architectural lighting, even with modern virtual techniques. So um, that gives two different answers to that. Um, if you are a young practitioner in associated fields, and I use the term practitioner to cover people both in the commercial and on the design side, think about an electrical designer, for example, or a project manager at a contracting firm or in a distributorship. Uh, there are really uh, many, many education opportunities for this. Um, but as you observed, it's very hard to get in-person, face-to-face, experiential ones. So I would look for a combination of broad information-based education with a mentor. Go out and find a Paul Hafner, mm. for example. Yeah, good luck with Or that. anybody else who has a passion for lighting sure. who can help you see and appreciate all of the opportunity in the world around you to learn and experience. You got to strike out with a club, like you know when you when you answered the question. I like, think I think I've been very good. My shield is strong, and I have deflected your club stroke so far. So lay on. <laughs> you got to strike out with like a, like when you have when you when you like who what twenty what person in their twenties, you know what I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but what do you want to do or what do you want to do with your life? Like what direction do you want to go in your life? Like nobody knows the answer to that question. I don't even know now. You know, it's like uh, when when you know you got to. That's why I like your answer with field sales because. What it does is it forces you to have multiple interactions with people on a regular basis, talking about the subject at hand. When you're in some sort of, um, con you know, you're in some space where everyone's an engineer or something like that, you're, you're, you lose sort of the pulse of what people actually want to buy, you know? And that's why that, 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 that fight between sales and, and engineering that you see in companies and, and this sort of thing, the salespeople are bringing back the information from the street. Um, a good company will listen to that. Um, a company that does that very well, Greg Eric, is Keystone, actually. Keystone <laughs> Technologies. You know, they're constantly calling, asking us, putting us, asking us about products. And is this going to sell? And, you know, what do you guys think of this? And, you know, Josh had done multiple roundtable discussions with the Gray Zone, gray zone crew in, in Nailed. And so, yeah, I mean, but who knows what they want to do, but I love the idea of encouraging people into sales at the beginning of their career. That doesn't mean that you're going to be in sales forever, but it gives you a sense of where lights go, what they do, why people buy them, what the different purposes are for using them. And, you know, I think that's great advice, Dan. I really do. Let me amplify it a little bit. Um, so imagine you are a young marketing a manager at a manufacturer, uh, and you're in your mid-twenties, um, and you do not want to be a salesman. You want to be an executive. You want a manager. Whatever it is your ambition is, it's not to carry a bag. 
I'd say go out and sell now. Learn it now. Learn it while your opportunity cost mm. is low. Sure. Agree totally. Because the further you advance in the company, um, the more opportunity you give up to start in sales and the more risk that you damage your, if you want, managerial or administrative reputation um, when you happen to accidentally um, say something bad about your customer's uh, wife. Uh, <laughs> Don't do that. As, um, <laughs> or as one lighting salesperson I know very, very well, uh, burn a hole in your customer's carpet. Yeah, sure. Uh, he forgave me. There you go. <laughs> Dan Blitzer, um, it's been too long that you haven't been on the show, and, and um, I want to thank you for being a guest today. And is there any final thoughts for the Get a Grip on Lighting Universe from Dan Blitzer? Yes. Um, final thought. There, um, you mentioned Tom Butters and the Lighting Agora. Um, mm -hmm. I'd like to put in a plug for the opportunity uh, for manufacturers or users of lighting to take advantage of the Agra for two benefits. Number one is a diverse range of experience and talent that can be brought to bear on a number of marketing, education, strategic problems there. And also uh, the ability to do projects both large and small and to do them fast and at low risk. So there's a plug. There's and a plug. Of course, I'm part of the Agora, so it's not exactly um, independent. Yes. Yep. Uh, conflict of interest revealed. Greg Garrick. <laughs> yes. What do you keep? You want to keep it easy here at the end of the show, or what do you got? Got to keep it easy. That's what you're supposed to do. K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. That's KeystoneTech.com. Uh, Greg, you just did some product training there. Why don't you tell the, the all the peeps out there about it? I did, and I didn't realize how nicely it would tie into the show at the beginning. But yeah. uh, we talked about, you know, and what Dan said, and what I think is the title of the show, you can't experience light from diagrams. You actually have to see it, you know, be there in person and experience it hands-on, all of that. And Keystone Live does that for you. Well, we're going to have to fight about that because I was going to go with your mom is always right, Dan Blitzer. Oh, that's good, too. <laughs> but if you made it to the end here, folks, thank you. It's from uh, from our hearts. Can I have the penultimate word? Oh, hang on one second. Let me just tell you about uh, NAILD.org and NCQLP.org. Check them out for the uh, the LC exam. And uh, we're going to give the last word to Dan. What do you got, Dan? I'd like to say thank you very much. And, man, you guys really have cool hats. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Dan. Folks, thank, thank you. you for listening. You know where to find us on all the social media out there. All the stuff that we talked about in the show will be posted on the in the show notes of, on the website. So if you want to see Lighting Agora or any of the other things that are in Dan's profile, they'll be there. I know I speak on behalf of all three of us. And Scott, the producer, yeah, he's there. Someone, does it. Someone you don't see is doing a lot of work. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>